0: We keep talking about Daniel as a media baron, but he presides over a media empire. Semantically, wouldn't a baron preside over a barony? I mean, he's got to keep either way, which is, I guess, the base of operations. And Bandit, after all, was my favorite character in Johnny Quest. Food for thought.
1: Pop up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start up with some talking And some moody clips and popcorn Fighting fantasy explorations And some groundless exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching And some blind unboxing Full month a movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the box come on Contests and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's The nerd. RPG variety podcast. with the other Jason
2: Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today is kind of a shorter episode. I'm gonna give you a couple session recaps. Then we're gonna open up the mailbag, talk about a few different things including the talk I had with Joe Richter about Pathfinder and Lore in the World, and Colin Green is going to take us down memory lane a little bit. So, stay tuned for that. I will probably be back to a more energetic, regular schedule next time. I had to take the weekend off for the most part. Still played games, but I kind of stayed off Discord. Need to just take some time for Jason. I think I'm on, on the online, too much. Of course, what do I do when I'm not online? Well, I hang out with the dogs on the couch and sit and watch TV. And so that's not a whole lot better. But i have really enjoying rewatching shows with one of my favorite actors, James Nesbitt. And, y- you know, we don't hold the fact that he was in those horrible Hobbit movies against James, because James is such a good actor, whether you talk about Murphy's Law or you talk about Monroe which I think catches a bad rap for being a house ripoff. Um, Or he's in a new show on Netflix called Stay Close that's got some kind of, it's a thriller. It's got some kind of ridiculous elements in there, to be honest. But he's excellent in it. And the young lady that plays his partner in that is also excellent. And I wish we saw more of them and their dynamic. Uh, Unfortunately, she gets kind of shut out near... her her character kind of gets pushed out of the show near the end um, just to give other people more screen time but yeah i'm a big fan of james nesbitt have been for years and, and i really enjoyed the weekend just hanging out with him watching you know some old episodes of shows and and watching different things james in there so that's what i've been doing but let's talk about some gaming stuff Hopefully most of you are familiar with Barney Dicker and the local Ludus podcast. He's been doing a lot of great things lately, and right now he currently has a crowdfunded project up. He's not using Kickstarter. It's on Ko-fi, and there's a link in the show notes. It's the Neo-Triassic Shoreline Regression Syndrome, and it's listed as a system agnostic solar punk investigative survival horror tabletop role-playing module and it's seeking funding as part of Zine Month 2022. I think Zine Month is kind of the sad thing that people came up with when um, Kickstarter didn't do Zine Quest again in February. But what's not sad is Barney's project. So Barney has a lot of game design experience. I have no doubt this is going to come out really cool. You can definitely go to that link. You can read about it and you can see different things. The it, th- what this is is a series of different modules, and they're um, like I say they're they're system agnostic, so you can play them with with any system you want. And there are five different episodes of flexible playtime in here, random tables, plot hooks, alternative possibilities, so you be, have some replay value. Um, it, it looks interesting. Definitely go check it out. Players take roles as Polar Alliance scientists and soldiers sent to locate another team stationed in the theme themes gulf and as the adventure progresses characters are at ever greater risk of falling into a archaic form of consciousness that can unravel their humanity so it sounds kind of interesting like I say it's a you know, you know horror survival kind of thing investigative kind of thing the other thing that's interesting here is the term solar punk i don't know if you've heard the term solar punk before or are familiar with it solar punk is an offshoot of cyberpunk actually so what is solar punk? Solar punk is a genre of speculative fiction that focuses on craftsmanship, community and technology powered by renewable energy. And like I say, it, it, it it's an offshoot of cyberpunk, but it's kind of a reaction to the nihilism in cyberpunk. And Barney also hosts a sustainable gaming forum or actually I think it's a it's Discord, but anyway, but he he hosts a Sustainable Gaming, if I could talk, Sustainable Gaming, you know, discussion group effectively. And he does some other interesting things. So he's definitely in, in, interested in, you know, what we can do to to keep going forward and, and, and to positively impact people in, in our environment. So check that out if that sounds interesting to you. Gaming recaps. So I'm taking a slightly different philosophy towards gaming recaps that I both am doing on my podcast and the ones I'm listening to. After discussions with Carl Rodriguez over the Geomologist Presents podcast and some other folks, I, I do think hearing the gaming recap of a published adventure is kind of like reading a semi-spoiler review of that published adventure. It may not be the exact same as watching a multi-hour actual play or, or reading it yourself. But but I think there's enough spoilers in there that, that I'm not going to do that on this show. So other people are, are fine doing that on their shows, and, and I'm definitely not saying people shouldn't do those kind of reviews. I'll continue to, to listen to some of them. If it's a adventure I may play at some point, or a module you know, I may play at some point, then I probably won't listen to that actual or not actual play. I won't do that. But I also probably won't listen to that session recap t- so things can be fresh. Um, so j- just to put that out there, I'm not saying anything. anybody's doing anything wrong. I'm not telling other people to adjust what they're doing by any means. I'm just letting you guys know my philosophy going forward. So if you don't hear as much plot point detail in my recaps, you'll understand why. We played another session of Dungeon Crawl Classics run by Carl Rodriguez, Arlen Walker, live from Pelham's Wasteland, BJ Boyd of the Arcane Alienist, and another player who doesn't have podcast. We're, we're in that game. It was a great game. I almost missed the game. My son's car had some mechanical problems, and he was broke down on the side of the road <laughs> before early in the morning before the game, ended up having to get AAA, and you know, for once, AAA showed up really quickly. To be honest, the driver must have been in the area, and it was, you know, seven a.m. on a Saturday morning, so that also probably helped a lot. But luckily, we we got it towed to the dealership and all, and I was back at the house in time for the game. Uh, I did have to run to the post office because the post office on Saturdays only open during the hours we're actually playing. So I had, you know, we started the Zoom call and I wasn't actually on the roll 20 at game time started because I was at the post office, but I, I was able to verbally be there until I could get back home. Uh, the session went well. We we're in a castle, and we finished clearing the castle of, of opponents, at least of the major faction that we're, we're dealing with. It, it was an exciting battle. It kind of went back and forth some. BJ Boyd is playing a cleric in this he's a cleric of the god of puzzles and this of course is the game where I'm playing the Idris Khan who's a wizard and he fought, his patron is the, the demon of the, the sands and and wastes and we started off at fifth level and all of us had two action dice which basically meant we could do two actions each each round except for the poor cleric well, we've since leveled up to 6th level, and at 6th level, the Cleric gets that extra action, action die as well. So BJ's Cleric has really started to come into his own now, and he's able to, to really start using a more variety of spells because he's not worried about only having one action each each round. Which allows him to be more than just a heal bot. And so he was pretty versatile during this combat, which was very helpful. He managed to use a, a spell, word of command, And he was able to take one of the trolls out of the fight and and just tell it to follow him. It's only a one-word command, but it it took it out of the fight, which was great. Um, We we went through, of course, Idris Khan's magic with... I I was rolling pretty good most of the time. So Scorching Ray, which sets targets on fire when it hits them. I I was able to dispatch some of the trolls pretty quickly. Um, But one of the, the main opponents we fought had a Sleep Spell, a pretty powerful magic user. And, and, and with, with that sleep spell is dangerous because if, of course, Dungeon Crawl Classics, how well the spell goes off depends how well you roll. And with sleep, if you roll well enough, you have the option of either targeting a group of of targets and then they all get a saving throw, or you can target a single target and that target will not get a saving throw. And so normally with sleep, if somebody fails their saving throw, they go to sleep, you can wake them up you know, by shaking them or throwing water on them, whatever. But if you just, if you roll high enough, you can put a single target in supernatural sleep. And if they're in supernatural sleep, they don't get a saving throw and they can't be woken up by normal means. And usually they're asleep for a couple of days. Think of like sleep and beauty. Um, and in fact, it is a lot like sleep and beauty because you have to have a specified that, that, magic user with that spell has to specify the condition where they can be woken up and that's like built into their it's almost like a built-in part of that spell so when they cast that spell there's a pre-condition that's been decided before the spell is cast on how somebody could be woken up from the supernatural sleep which is pretty cool well the so after the this enemy caster cast sleep and knocked everybody out except bj's cleric because he made a saving throw luckily and, well, in a in an NPC, like, sidekick, we have a cat, this super na- supernatural cat that we have that was with the dwarf. So the cat woke up the dwarf, and then BJ's cleric woke up the rest of us. And, and so that worked out pretty well. But the next time, next round, because in DCC you don't lose a spell unless you fail your spell casting check, the... Our, our enemy cast the supernatural sleep spell on you know, B.J.'s cleric so he wouldn't have a save and he'd be asleep you know potentially for days so what he did something clerics and wizards can do in DCC is do a spell duel where you you have an equivalent spell and you cast an equivalent you say I'm gonna do a spell duel to try to counteract that spell that was cast at me and you have to have an equivalent spell that you cast and, and you do that, and then you roll and you check to see what the, the rolls are, and there's a table, and you go back and forth. But a- anyway, in, in this case, he didn't roll quite well enough in the spell duel to totally dissipate her spell, but it deflected it. And unfortunately, it, it hit Otto, the poor dwarf, and, and knocked him out, so he's asleep for X number of days now. I I think it's two days is what Carl said. We I don't know that the character that's I don't think that's meta knowledge. I don't think the in game characters know how long Doris can be asleep. Um. So so that was cool. And then later on we got to do another spell duel. The but but prior to that the this enemy caster charmed Ardath Arlen's warrior and was using him as a bodyguard. So we were trying to be careful to get in there. And I tried to do. Um, color spray to knock them out, both Ardath and this caster, but I failed to roll and lost a spell. <laughs> anyway, it went back and forth, but there was a second spell duel. And during the second spell duel, between, well, it was between BJ's cleric again and the um, and this enemy caster, they, he hadn't rolled quite well enough. So what he, what he ended up doing was... He burned luck because they had rolled twenty eight, which is as high as you can get, and so he burned luck to match that roll twenty eight. And by matching the roll twenty eight, it means that you roll in a special table, the flagaston disturbance table, and and all kinds of cool things can happen at that point because basically you're you're like ripping a hole in in time and space by doing that. But what they ended up doing is do the roll. They both got corruption. And the cleric ended up with clear skin, so either you know like like a Nuhonian um ghoul like from fafra and the gray mouser where you can see through the skin transparent skin, or if you remember the anatomy like anatomy man anatomy woman they had that where it's got the transparent skin and you can see their their bones and and muscles and all underneath it it's like that, so which you can eventually get rid of corruption, probably so. The clerical pride be okay, but but all in all, it was a really fun session. Um, it, you know, really highlighted the the neat things that can happen in DCC with spells and and, and combat, and and there were also some some great things the fighters did, where they they you know did mighty feats of arms and things like that. So it was all in all, it was a, it was a really fun session, and was still really enjoying that game. Another game that I played in was Pathfinder Two, run by Joe Richter. of hindsightless podcast. And again, this is the wrath of the righteous campaign. So I'm not going to talk about specifics, but I I will say great group of people really enjoying playing with that group. Actually, this game was Joe Richter's birthday. And so we were, some of us were were celebrating for him and drinking. And, and I happened to finish off a a bottle of crack and rum, that 94% rum, which is good for mixing drinks, but, but I finished off bottle crack and rum. And then I Moved on to my old standby J&B blended Scotch whiskey, which I was just doing straight shots of. And after the game, we got we talked, we sat online and talked for a couple hours. And hopefully, I didn't alienate the group, and maybe they'll invite me back. But we talked about everything from politics to to Shakespeare to literature to you you name it. And it was really enjoyable. I got to know the group a little bit better, which was great. Like uh, I say, hopefully, I didn't scare them off. Um, being the weirdo that i am but anyhow we did come up with a with a moral quandary where we had a prisoner that we had captured and had tied up and we knew they were evil we knew if they got loose they were going to kill again but they're tied up prisoners so that we had the inner party debate in character you know what are we going to do with this prisoner because we're trapped underground we're trying to find our way back to the surface the city had been attacked so we don't know what the state the city's in at the moment but uh, but the lawful good types which include myself had you know eventually won the argument that you know it's it's not our place to execute this guy just because it's expedient and convenient for us you know really we need to take him up and turn him over to the authorities so we agreed to do that and we're going to see we're going to see how hard that's going to be cuz we're we're still not to the surface yet. We're still trying to fight our way up there and find our way up there. So it, we're going to see how tough it's going to be with a prisoner in tow. But th- that's a really great game, really enjoyable. So anyway, I think that's it for session recaps. Music. Okay, our next segment is gonna be the mailbag segment. But before I do that, let me let you know, if you wanna call into the show, if you wanna interact, you have comments on anything I've said today, you can leave a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at nerdsrpgvarietycast.gmail.com. If you attach an audio file, I can play it on the air and make you famous. If you reach out to me on Discord, normally I'm on Discord a lot more than I've been this weekend. Like I say, I was hanging out with James Nez, but But for the most part, I'm around on Discord, and, and I will pay more attention in the future. I just had to take a break from Discord is my social media. That's about all I do, and and I'd take a break from it. I just had to put the phone away from me for a while. But normally, I do check all that. So you can reach out to me a variety of ways. I'm happy to get your input on the show. Interaction with with listeners is one of the best things of the show. So let's go ahead and open up the mailbag.
1: on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke, by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house.
2: Let's start the mailbag section with one of my good friends, Colin Green of the Spike Pet Podcast.
3: Yeah, Chase, you like the old stuff. The old glory days, a bit of nostalgia, trip down memory lane. Got some anchor lore for you, some more anchor podcast lore. What about the uh, doing a Jackson? Who remembers that? Doing a Jackson, back when it all started out, and Hobbs and Tim and the gang, you'd call into a show and, and leave one message, one message alone, up to a minute long. And then this joker, Matt Jackson, Matt Random, comes in, comes in with two messages unheard of. Who can believe it? Two messages, and that was doing a Jackson. Hey, glory days, the good old days. Take care, mate. Catch you later.
2: Hey, Colin, I do remember those days quite fondly. And, in, folks, when he mentions Tim, he's talking about Tim Shorts of the Gothridge Manor podcast and Patreon. And you also see Gothard Manor on Drive-Thru RPG. lots of great stuff, great output from Tim, and, and from Matt as well. You, you can find Matt's stuff out there. Matt actually has a, a book on Amazon that I'll put a link to in the show notes.
1: Hey, Jason, another great episode. Uh, I was listening, I almost got through the whole thing when I, I decided to do some call-ins. Um Listening to the comments, I think it was Mr. Norton said, uh, uh, confirmed what I said about giggling sometimes. Or laughing when players die fighting, you know, giant rats or spiders. And and this came up the other day uh, when you, mi- you missed the game. Uh, and we, we need you to not miss games. I know you were sick and you had an emergency, so certainly forgivable. But, uh, you know, you have a powerful character. And I've got to caution the other players to not micro-play the paladin when, when the actual player's not, not there. I try to... I think the paladin should really be put in the background... And not do a lot, so that that kind of came up. But anyway, they were fighting centipedes, and I, I was laughing during the battle uh, uh, against these centipedes. And I had to, I had to let the the players know I wasn't laughing at them or being antagonistic. So, just came up funny.
2: That was Mw, the Worlds of Mw Lewis podcast, talking about how when somebody has a kind of absurd death, it's okay to laugh at it as long as. You, You know, it's in the spirit of the table and everybody's enjoying it. If a player is really angry about it or obviously off-put, then maybe we shouldn't do that. But for the most part, I think we can all laugh when absurd things happen in our games. I I definitely agree with that. I I know I laugh at myself when I do horrible dice rolls and, you know, whiff. And and if my character has has a bad death, I'm okay with that. It's, you know, it's all part of the game. That's one thing with Dungeon Crawl Classics. You know, Dungeon Crawl Classics has fumbles and criticals in there, and I didn't mention it during the session recap, but Arlen's character, Ardeth, fumbled, and he, he was charging to attack this troll, and, and he rolled a fumble, and he fell flat on his face, and then he had to spin around getting up, and, and so we had a number of, uh, unfortunately, you, you know, Eric Tenkar over at Tenkar's Tavern talks about how, and, and other people talk about this as well, how incorporating fumbles and criticals the the idea of your role one it's a fumble or 20 it's a critical if you incorporate that for both the players and the npcs it actually hurts the players the math in the end means that the players are going to fumble more often than they probably should and then of course the enemies can benefit from the criticals and there are more enemies than there are players so just mathematically, it ends up biting the players in the butt, but players love it, and, and we love it. It's fun when those things happen, and and we enjoyed role playing through it. But but it does bring up the the touchy thing about you know fumbles and criticals. I I the last time I really heard a player, I won't say complain about it, but question the mechanic. I guess is a better way to say it. Is like with Cyberpunk when we were playing Cyberpunk twenty twenty, Daniel and maybe even Carl mentioned about but especially daniel the idea that cuz in cyberpunk if you roll all 1 then it is a failure you failed now it's not necessarily a fumble where you have to although there are, there is a fumble chart for some things but a 1 is an automatic failure for any skill roll in that game but you, but it's a, on a d20 so you have 5% chance of always failing now you're only doing things under stress or or when you know the results interesting so there's always should be some chance of failure but I, I can definitely see the the complaint there, and 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 then some games, of course, have confirm your fumble, which ICRPG does, where you roll, and then you have to roll, and if you roll one again, then you're you know have some kind of fumble. But yeah, it's interesting the idea of um, dice mechanics. But I think a Dungeon Crawl Classic kind of fits the genre because it, that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of silly. It doesn't have to be silly, but it but it's kind of a more silly, absurd game anyway, which is okay because that's what I love. But yeah, I definitely think it's okay to laugh at the game. Again, the key being that we're not laughing at the other players while they're you know, when when they have a bad time. And if you see somebody's like disturbed by it, then definitely you shouldn't laugh. And as far as missing games, yeah, I'm not doing well these days. I between being sick and missing a bunch of games, and now this is supposed to be my short week at work, but due to some shortages and personnel I'm only going to make one of the many games I had scheduled this week. I'm missing the Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night game, which unfortunately is MW's game as well as Pathfinder 2 with Carl Rodriguez and Talisman with Eric Salsweedle. I'm also going to miss the Tuesday game, the OSE game. So I'm the only game I'm going to make this week, fingers crossed, knock on wood, because it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully I'm going to make the Reaver game. So I look forward to hopefully be able to give you a reverb, uh, recap next episode. But let's get to the next call. Next up we have Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. He's responding to the series of bonus episodes that we did where Arlen Walker of Live from Helms Wasteland called in talking about things he didn't like about second edition of Ants Dungeons and Dragons. This conversation's kind of continued over in Arlen's podcast. So I would point you over to Live from Pelms Wasteland it, you know, for more discussion on this. I don't really play second edition, and I don't own the book, so I can't really comment on it. But Carl's going to give his comments.
4: It's interesting that we were having a discussion the other day in a game about armor and heavy armor. So it is true, 70 pounds is a little high, but armor ranged... Full plate, field plate armor ranged from 35 pounds to about 60 pounds, depending. And very interestingly, like this whole cavalry charge and knights in shining armor really only happened during the Hundred Years' War. And then by the 15th century, so War of the Roses period, there wasn't any really charges on horseback into battle on armor. And men fought on foot in full plate armor. Uh, with big pikes and two-handed swords and things that could punch through armor. So according to my studies in the War of the Roses that I'm doing for an upcoming game, it looked like the you know they could fight on foot in full-plate armor, and that was kind of the norm. I feel like I like D&D 2nd Edition
0: because I have fond memories of playing games using 2nd Edition. Uh, namely, um, when we transitioned doing our adventures in Kara Tour from 1st to 2nd Edition. We played 2nd Edition for a, quite a while and got into some of the other realms that they developed for 2nd Edition, um, for example, al But I really feel like I need to go back and study it out a bit more before I can say that I would like it now. I definitely enjoyed some delving into it as a GM when we did some Alcadim, but again,
4: I feel I need to prep
0: more because I've forgotten a lot of
2: how it works. You know, it's interesting, Carl. I was having this conversation with Eric Salzweedel, the 3D Omega Chicken Coop podcast on Discord, and he mentioned that although second edition has some wonderful settings, in fact, you know, the various D and D editions have very great settings that he felt these days, if you want to play first or second edition, that astonishing swordsman and sorcerer's Hyboria is a much better modern, much more modern presentation of it. He doesn't, I don't think he backed Hyboria, so I'm not sure if he has a third edition rules, but even looking at the second edition rules, I I think we can see that, that that's a much easier, you know, to grok presentation of it. Not saying you can't learn, First edition or second edition, but a lot of that's nostalgia, and a lot of that's just us wanting to learn it or have played it back in the back in the day. But when you look at just the layout and everything, you know, Ash is better laid out than spread out over multiple books and everything else. Um, although I, I will have to say that, so effectively, if we're gonna if we're gonna make Eric's comments in our talk a soundbite, it would be. Aside from having to declare actions, Ash is a better presentation and gameplay than either version of AD&D. So that would be Eric's soundbite. At the top of the show, we heard Taylor from the wear ringmail blog and podcast. And I think he's put YouTube channels out now. So he also has Media Empire, but poking a little bit fun at the way I call Daniel Norton a media baron for having his podcast, his YouTube channel, his actual play YouTube channel. He has a He sells things on RPG, But Daniel Norton does Bandit's Keep, which which is really great. All of his output's really great. Highly recommend you check it out. Well, I recently had a talk with Joe Richter about Pathfinder, and we talked about how much lore you need to know if if you're going to run a game, how much of the the history of the world, things like that. And Daniel has some thoughts on what we talked about, so I'm going to turn it over to Daniel
5: hey jason daniel from keep uh, great episode with joe very cool sounds like an awesome campaign as uh, as i said before I, I guess when i'm saying uh you know systems with lots of back lore i mean um as a gm mostly i'm thinking and not even the system itself I mean, clearly you can play 5th edition, which I did for a long time, or Pathfinder or anything else, probably, I'm guessing, Room Quest, without knowing all that stuff. But if you run their modules or their adventure paths, i got to imagine that the lore comes up, and yeah, okay, so it's in the adventure path, but that means the GM's got to tell it to you. Which means it's just more on the GM to keep track of. And if a player decides they want to delve in and say, oh, wow, when we were at that festival, you know, so the speaker mentioned blah, blah, blah. If you don't know that as the GM and you make something up and then later on in the adventure path, you know, 15 levels later, what you said was wrong and it throws off the whole thing, <laughs> then that's wrong. And that's kind of what kind of holds me back from doing it. As I said, I ran Cool though the first part of their campaign, and things like that did in fact happen, you know, where... It was my fault for not, like, reading the whole campaign three times over and, like, knowing everything. But, you know, there were things that happened in the beginning, and I kind of narrated certain ways I thought made sense. And then later, I discovered that that's not actually how it works at all. And, 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 you know, the campaign was based on it, so you can't just, like, suddenly change it. So, I don't know. It's just not for me. But if people love lore. If people love to read about lore. I'm not a big lore person, so I think having to know it as the GM turns me off. The player, as you said, probably doesn't need to know it as much. I mean, in your case, you guys were talking about the various gods, and if you didn't know about that, obviously you wouldn't be able to build up that story, but that doesn't mean you need to know every single god. You just need to know, I guess, about your character's gods, so you could consider that the same thing as knowing your class abilities, I guess. I guess, too, I mean, now I'm thinking about it, I mean, if you think about it, we... I guess I'm guess- guessing most of us that are gamers or something, we know a decent amount of lore from our world, right? Because uh, we're interested in it, but we don't know everything, right? So if you started talking about uh, something about Odin or whatever, I, might, I, get in, I know who Odin is, I have some idea of it, but I don't know all the stories, all the things lined into it. So I guess you can't really expect that the player characters would know that either. <laughs> so, yeah, probably as a player character, you know, I'm totally with you that you don't really need to know much of the lore. The GM can certainly put it out there. Unless it's tied into your character, like in your case, where you worship some kind of God and, you know, somehow had uh, falling out with them. But um, as far as the GM, I think you still need to know it. So it is work, and I'm not saying it's bad work or hard work or shouldn't be done. It's just not for me. But anyway, the campaign sounds amazing. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to, to hear how it goes from 1st to 20th level. That's very cool.
2: Remember where I said Joe would give Daniel a compliment? Well, here it is. I played those messages for Joe Richter. So Joe could respond to Daniel's message, since Joe's more equipped to do that than I am.
3: Hey, Jason. So, yeah, to sort of address some of Daniel's points, he's not wrong. Although uh, I, I do think it would be near impossible to mess up the lore so bad where it would screw up the adventure way down the line with these adventure paths and i totally understand these adventure paths aren't for everyone they're normally not for me but like i said before this wrath of the righteous is sort of the white whale of adventures for me and one of my buddies which is why i'm running it now but yeah, so each one of these Adventure Path books is right around 96 pages, uh, but the adventure itself is usually between 40 and 60 pages, and the rest is just history and lore of what's going on in the adventure. So as long as you read the adventure, which if you're running a pre-written adventure, every Dungeon Master should read the whole adventure before they start running it, uh, at least once, you, you, you won't mess it up. and it'd be hard to mess it up so bad anyway. So I don't know, man. Like I said, they're not for everyone anyway. Great stuff. Peace. out. Thank you, Joe. I
2: appreciate that. I tend to run in homebrew worlds or really loose worlds. So I don't, you know, I don't get bogged down with, with the whole thing of, um, Canon in world, but I definitely see Daniel's point and I can see where that might happen. Although like Joe, Joe said, "I mean, if if you're familiar with the the entire adventure, well, I don't know. I don't know how Corey Olis is set up. So it might be that he bought multiple interlocked adventures, and when he got like to the third adventure, you know, in the series, or that he bought later on, he found out the lore is different than what he made up earlier, and, and that's what happened. I I don't know. So yeah, it's hard to say. Which is one of the reasons, honestly, I'm not a big fan of ongoing adventures." published by the creator that modify the world, to to be honest. I like the the game company to give me the setting, gimme the rules, and if I want to modify the setting I'm going to. And I don't care about any company pop plot line. I, I really don't want a game company to tell me the ongoing plot in my world. And in fact I I don't. I, I ignore those things. But I but I know a lot of companies like to push their company ongoing plot through modules and stuff. And, and that can make your life tough, like Daniel's saying. I, I can definitely see that. Okay, so Carl also has some thoughts in the interview. He gets a, a little detailed on what happens in some Pathfinder adventure modules. So I'll put a, a soft spoiler warning here. I, I don't think it would ruin anything, but he is going to talk a little bit about things in different Pathfinder Venture Paths. So, if you want to go into Pathfinder Venture Paths totally blind, you should stop listening now. And you're not going to miss anything because it's going to be Carl's comments. And that's the end of the show. So, you're not going to miss anything past that. But if you don't mind some soft spoilers for Pathfinder Venture Paths, then I'm going to play Carl's messages now.
0: Cadence. The word that you're looking for is cadence. Like, if you were speaking or reading poetry, most people have a iambic pentameter when they speak, and they modulate their voice accordingly. So it's the cadence that you're looking for, like marching.
2: Thank you, Carl. That's correct. And somebody else, I forget who, also pointed that out on Discord that cadence was what we were looking for. We, If you listen to that interview with Joe and I, we both brain farted on a word, and cadence was that word. Okay, I, I warned you. Soft spoilers ahead, big boy. Only peek if you really want to.
0: I love how Paizo starts their adventure paths or has throws kind of unique things into their adventures that were not previously encountered in other formats or in other Dungeons and Dragons-like games. I'll give some examples. So... You know, the haunts, the haunts that we hate so much that we don't know how to defeat that can make us jump out of windows or blast us with necrotic negative power. Those were first in the second Rise of the Rune Lords book, the Skinsaw Murders. So, you know, it's a unique innovation by Paizo or the Paizo game designers to do that. Another cool one was, is, I'm running out of time. Another thing is how they put you in unique situations in the backdrop of an adventure. You've given sort of the the big rally um, at the beginning of Wrath of the Righteous, but there is an adventure in, um, I think it's in the Council of Thieves adventure path where the players go to an opera and while the opera is going on, you know, then you, you're you doing the adventure with the backdrop of the opera and there's little interjections where the player characters hear or see or get the lines of the opera as well. And I think they actually, that's how they got into the theater in the first place. They might have to perform as part of the, the, the troupe that's doing the opera because that's how they got into the opera house in the first place. So it's kind of a different, quirky, unique, not necessarily unique, but not done often, I would say. Although I must say they really like festivals. Festivals seem to be a backdrop for an opening event or encounter several times in the Pathfinder Adventure Pass. So I don't know if that's uh, or why that is or the common, why that is a common trope for them. Maybe they just feel like medieval slash renaissance cultures have lots of festivals. So that's where we're going to have the problems or the crazy things occur. Now, I know like in one adventure path as the opening scene, you're like at a at a noble ball, a noble's ball, which I think is kind of interesting, too. So um, hmm. I think they do a lot of neat things and and set things up really well um, for for the adventures. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of them that I've not finished and been wanting to do. But to Paizo adventure paths are pretty cool.
2: Okay, folks, that's it. That's the show. As promised, no more content because I don't don't want to trick anybody in where they missed anything after Carl gave us all spoilers. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and I will talk to you next time. Take care.
1: your auntie or a joke about your spouse But the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house What's in the, What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head And the only question left is if I could see him dead Ring on the floor Ring on the floor There's a dustbin in your moral spot, it, or, and I'm assuming that's your partner back there in the woods, chipper. Don't look away, don't look away, don't look away, don't look away, well the zombies are arising and the world has gone to hell. we're living for the dying and we're dying for the string ray.